to invite you to take a seat, but once again, if you could close your eyes for just a little bit longer. I received an email um, from our superintendent, Garth Bolander, and he sent an update quoting my utmost for his highest from Oswald Chambers. And I thought the reading was so encouraging that I'd like to share that for you. I don't know what state you come in here to church. Um, frankly, I'm surprised that everybody's here, uh, especially on uh, New, Year's, New Year's Day and New Year's morning and whatever state that you're in at this moment, to hear these words from the December 31st reading of My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. You shall not go out with haste, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Isaiah 52, 12. Security from yesterday. God requires an account of what is past. Ecclesiastes 3.15. At the end of the year, we turn with eagerness to all that God has for the future, and yet anxiety is apt to arise when we remember our yesterdays. Our present enjoyment of God's grace tends to be lessened by the memory of yesterday's sins and blunders. But God is the God of our yesterdays, and He allows the memory of them to turn the past into a ministry of spiritual growth for our future. God reminds us of the past to protect us from a very shallow security in the present. Security for tomorrow. The Lord will go before you. This is a gracious revelation that God will send His forces out where we have failed to do so. He will keep watch so that we will not be tripped up again by the same failures as would undoubtedly happen if He were not our rear guard. And God's hand reaches back to the past, settling all the claims against our conscience. Security for today. You shall not go out with haste. As we go forth into the coming year, let it not be in the haste of impetuous, forgetful delight, nor with the quickness of impulsive thoughtlessness. But let us go out with the patient power of knowing that the God of Israel will go before us. Our yesterdays hold broken and irreversible things for us. It is true that we have lost opportunities that will never return. But God can transform this destructive anxiety into a constructive thoughtfulness for the future. Let the past rest, but let it rest in the sweet embrace of Christ. Leave the broken, irreversible past in His hands and step out into the invincible future with Him. And that comes from the December 31st reading of My Utmost for His Highest, which is a devotional book by Oswald Chambers. And some of you probably even own that book, and you can look that up. It's in the last, the last page. So welcome to 2017. I don't know how you feel, if you feel different, if you feel better, if you feel tired. Uh, here in Katy, the fireworks went on until pretty late. I was pretty jazzed afterwards just by all the, night, the flashing lights that it took me even longer to fall asleep. But we're here together, and I think that's a good thing because what we're doing today on the first day of the year is coming to worship. We're taking a solid step, and we're saying, I'd like to begin my first day worshiping the Lord, asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You might have noticed that a lot of the songs we sang today themed on the Holy Spirit, and that's on purpose, because today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. 
So Reframe series is where we're back in. We're continuing our previous programming before Advent. It was the Faith and Work series, and we arrive once again back to the series, uh, corresponding with Reframe Lesson 7. And so this Friday at my house, we will be having a woven group. Um, some of the other woven groups, I don't know if you'll be meeting this Friday, yes. And uh, you might be pick, we'll be picking back up on Reframe Lesson 7. And what Reframe Lesson 7 does is, in light of everything that we've learned through this faith and work series, essentially what we've done is we've taken our worldview and we've reframed it. We've reframed it much larger so that now we see all of life is meaningful and spiritual. It's not just Sunday, it's not just our privatistic, devotionalistic, personal practices, but we reframe our perspective and see actually Monday to Friday counts in God's, in God's books. And we're seeing the spiritual reality of everything now through this reframed biblical understanding, but the question is, how do I live it? Because I had a great worship today on Sunday, but Monday morning came and I forgot all of the blessings and all the good things that I heard and the good sense and the, I was worshiping and the tears were streaming down my cheek. And then I woke up on Monday morning and I got out the wrong side of the bed and I hit traffic. And how are we supposed to live this empowered, reframed life? It's a question I ask myself all the time. The irony is for me, Sunday is a work day. And I kind of get into my weekends on Monday. And man, I'll tell you, sometimes I hit that pillow hard. I crash. How do I get back into that sense of the reframed understanding that God is present in the days off, but also in our work? And the answer, just like in school, sometimes you'll get the answer, and the teacher will say what? Show me your work. How did you arrive at this answer? The answer to today's sermon is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that enables all the previous six lessons that we've gone through to become a reality. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk back to work tomorrow with our feet and our head on straight and with integrity and with ethics and making good choices and not kind of in this constant state of restless, irritable, and discontented. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to live transformed lives Monday to Friday reframing all of our understanding. The hard question, therefore, is show me your work. Show me the work. How then are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? And man, if I had a formula, if I could just say, jump through some hoops, you know, spin around three times and click your heels and the Holy Spirit will come. I, I wish it were that easy. But I think that there are three pretty solid, I don't want to say sure fire, but as close to it as we can get, solid things that opens the door for the Spirit to move in our lives. So in order to live a reframed understanding, to go back to work, holy people with character and integrity, these three things we can do in order to be sanctified Monday to Friday. And the first thing, the first fill in the blank, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's conviction is the first step for the Spirit to come and to empower us. It is the first step for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Today, for me personally, um, I don't want to make this all about me, but I have to share a very special story. Almost to the day, this is the 20th anniversary for me. The 20th anniversary, I realized this just yesterday. Uh, the 20th anniversary 
for when I was, when I experienced the personal revival, when I was born again, again, as it were. So 20 years ago today was 1996. I just realized that. 1996, and 19, it was the verge of 96, 97, and I was dragged to a retreat by my pastor in college. I did not want to go to this retreat. Why? I was, I was, I was pretty cynical when it came to Christianity. I had grown up in the church. I had been in the front um, at the age of 20. I had already um, led worship and spoken in front of people and stood in front of large crowds and done a lot of ministry. And still I could not find the sense of change. I couldn't find character. I couldn't find uh, my faith. And so very confused, very doubting. I went to this retreat under a cloud, and I arrived on the scene to about a thousand college students all worshiping and praising God, and I knew like nobody. 999 strangers, and for the first time in my life, nobody was looking at me. I was not on the platform. I had nothing to, nothing to prove. All the girls were chasing the, the jocks. They were all, the jocks were all chasing the girls. I was just kind of sidelined, and there was, no, there was no sense that I was the center of attention. And something happened. Something remarkable happened. My ego, my ego was gradually removed from the equation. Because prior to that, church, church activity, church work, doing things for spirituality, underlying it all, there was subtly a little bit or a lot of wane. A lot of it, well, I will get noticed this will, this will be good for me. This will make me look good in people's eyes. But for the first time, I realized nobody was looking at me. And so at this retreat, basically, I sat down, and for the first time in my life, I listened to a sermon. I listened to a series of sermons. Now, mind you, I had already listened to a lot of sermons by then. I've, already, I've even preached a couple of sermons. But for the first time in my life, 20 years ago today, I felt like my ears were opened my ears were open because my ego was removed from the equation and I heard preaching, it cut right through the sauce, it cut right through the grease and it went straight to my heart and I faced myself, not with shame. Brene Brown teaches psychology here at the University of Houston and she says it like this, shame says, I am bad, I am bad. And if we lapse into that thinking, I am bad, nothing can get through to you. Because you're saying, well, I stink. I suck anyway. I'm not worth it. I'm not good. I'm no good. What I felt that day was not shame. I felt something else. That was 20 years ago at Montrose Retreat Center in Pennsylvania. I felt guilt. And the difference, Brene Brown says, between shame and guilt, shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm evil. Guilt says, I've done evil. And instead of lapsing into this place of low self-esteem, I had to confront myself for the first time in my life at the ripe old age of 20 years old that I had done wrong in my life. And because I was confronted, I heard messages that one by one, like laser lightning, sliced right into the core of my being, and I was left with no choice but to do something about it. And I've been to a lot of retreats. Even at that point, probably dozens upon dozens of retreats. And I know the retreat up and down. I know the highs and the lows. You come back and then, you know, 
you come down the mountain and we're unchanged. But I remember thinking there's a couple of things that I really need to change. There's a couple of sins that I really need to confess. There's a couple of things that I need to stop doing, and there's a lot of things I need to start doing. You know why that was so important for me is because the things I did after that retreat 20 years ago today still continue to this day. I still confess my sins. I still work on my devotionalistic practices. There are things that I can't do, that I don't do. In other words, what happened to me was conviction. And the conviction fell hard. And it changed my life. That is what some people would call personal revival. You might think, I'm a crusty old Christian. I'm 18 years old. I'm 25 years old. I've seen the church. I've seen religion. I've seen it all. You know, we sang songs this morning about Almighty God. Do you know the Almighty God can blow you out of the waters and show you more than you ever thought you knew? That He can convict, that He can cleanse, change, transform. If we can pull up Psalm chapter 15 on the screen. You know, I haven't been perfect this Christmas break. I've been trying to meditate on Scripture. I haven't been able to do it every morning. Actually, that's my New Year's resolution, Paul. In 2017, the first thing, and I work from home, the first thing I do is I, so I guess this is accountability, right? (laughs) It's not the way to do accountability, honestly, but like what I do is I'll go straight to my home office in my pajamas. I haven't even brushed my teeth yet, and I'll turn my computer on to get it cycled, right? I'll enter my password because it takes like two hours for my computer to get started up. So I'll turn my computer on. And then I'll eat, you know, get the kids off to school, and then I'll go to the office. But my resolution this year is not to do that. My resolution this year is to open my Bible. And so one of the chapters that I've been meditating on is Psalm 15 this Christmas season. We are still in Christmas season, by the way. And it says this, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against a friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Since then, I've read Psalm 16, Psalm 17, Psalm 18, 19, and 20. A lot of them sound like this. They sound like it's very black and white, that life is a system of ethics where you either do or you don't. And there's a sense where you reap what you sow. If we reap in 2016 bad behavior, we will sow the whirlwind. We will sow suffering. That's what this seems to be communicating. And you might say, Pastor, what about grace? We come to church, especially in the Protestant church, what about grace? God forgives. I can come to church, God forgives. This is where I want to preach a message as close to the heart of those messages I heard 20 years ago. 
Yes, there is grace, but not without the cross. Yes, there is grace, but not without discipline and discipleship. Yes, there is grace, but not without confession and without repentance. And depending on what type of Protestant you are, if you're Reformed or you're Arminian, when does grace come? It doesn't matter. Grace must bring change. If it doesn't, all it does is bring codependency. And that's the piece of doctrine, Frank, if you can pull that up. You see, lots of times we Protestant Christians, what we fail to do is we come to church on the Sunday where the pastor preaches grace, but we miss the previous Sunday where the message was the law. We cannot have grace and kindness and favor and good feelings if there is not any sense of ethics and right and wrong. If the message is only, only, you know, this kind of soft message of I love you, then God really is just a doddering, senile, celestial being that just wants to put nice things on us. But that's not true. God is also ethical. What scholars call Judaism and Christianity is ethical monotheism. The fact that there is one God and He has standards. He's not like the Greek gods that messes around, sleeps around, drinks around, carouses around, and humanity just kind of lives like that too. No, we have a God with standards, with ideals, with a notion of the good. He is an ethical God. His law comes first. It is there in the context of the law and the realization that we've broken it and we've trespassed against it. You know the Paternoster, the Our Father. You guys know that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. And there are different versions when you get to that part, forgive us our sins. Or depending on the, the tradition, you might say forgive us our debts. Some say forgive us our trespasses. Whatever it is that we have. As we start 2017, sins, debts, trespasses. It is the beginning for us to turn over a new leaf. If we're not aware of our sins, debts, and trespasses, and basically God will shower favor on us, then the grace we're talking about is cheap, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it. It's codependency. It's where we go to God and we can continue our life and behavior. And he'll say, oh, okay, you, know, you can keep doing that. But true grace elicits change, not codependency. Nothing is more unhealthy than codependence, codependent behavior. Change. Change. Talk about the new year, right? Change. But there's a second thing now. We're moving to the second heading. The first, the first part of the Spirit's empowerment. How do we get empowered by the Spirit, Right? Because ultimately, what is this whole series about? It's about receiving from God the power to live righteous lives so that we can transform our workplaces. So how do we receive the Spirit? Spirit, come. I want more of you. Spirit, come. I want more of you. But don't touch those deepest, darkest things that I want to coddle as my own. The only way the Spirit will touch is when we take that first step or when the first step of conviction comes. But there's a second part. It's not just conviction and confessing our sins and repenting of them. It is also healing, the healing of the Spirit. 
This is what I mean. This is what I mean. Last summer, um, when I looked in my garage, I noticed a growing accumulation of little black droppings about that big. And with each, with each weekend, they kind of proliferated and grew and grew and grew until I invited an exterminator over and he said, you have roof rats. And these are rats that are, they live in Katy. They're all over Katy because this was formerly rice fields. And without anywhere to go, they kind of invade homes. And they had found their way into my garage. And so, not just in my garage, but, you know, in the walls and, you know, they live, you know, I, I saw it with my eyes. Anyway, the exterminator did his job and he did it well. And he worked all day outside in the sweltering heat with these metal strips and, like, duct tape. <laughs> no. I mean, he, he, was, he was like, you know, using everything. I mean, this was, uh, I think it was John Moore. Does that sound right? Local Houston company, right? And they did a fantastic job basically sealing off every single hole, every entrance, every single entrance from the ground floor all the way to the roof. In other words, sealing off every outside entrance so that the rats couldn't come in. Now, when he was done with that, he had one last step. What he had to do was go into the walls, into the attic, and set up traps to kill the mice or the rats that were inside, already inside the house. You get this metaphor? I think the metaphor is profound. The first step of conviction and confession and repentance, and we say, I'm never going to do those things again. I'm never going to lie, cheat, steal, kill, so on, all the Ten Commandments. I'm never going to do those things anymore. And we seal off all of the outside entrances. Like, let's say, for example, my, I have like a, a really bad problem with brownies. And it's, it's a sin. It's the 11th command, thou shalt not eat brownies excessively. And so, in order to avoid brownies, I, I eliminate everything that's the color brown in my house. I stop using the letter B in my vocabulary. Vocabulary. Anything that has any hint of sugar, like if you, if there's a shop, if there's a coffee table, I know doctors, you've got the you've got the, the donut the donut spread in the morning, and you don't even go there anymore, and you you walk out of the elevator, and there are the brownies, and you just go like this, and basically we seal off all of the outside entrances, and yet what happens? It's nine o'clock at night. You take a sip of your wine and you eat a brownie <laughs> because that's what you want. Because deep down inside, the brownies are still inside our hearts. And like the rats, we can seal off all the outside entrances and keep ourselves from ever sinning again. But unless we deal with the rats inside the house, the problem will continue. What we need is not just repentance and confession. And believe me, friends, I've had 20 years of practice 20 years, 20 years ago today, and I was a much younger man, and 20 years of confessing sins, and I've learned, yeah, you need a little bit more than just conviction and repentance and rip-roaring messages of the pastors preaching at you to get you to repent. No, we need more. We need to deal with the mice inside the house. We need healing. We need work. You know, I'd love for this church to grow and be a huge church. But you know what I like about this? 
I get to be involved in every single one of your lives. And I get to hear your struggles and your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups. And I get to work with you. Because just like people work with me for my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, you have a pastor, you have each other to work with you closely because it's not enough to just hear a message. It's not enough to say, I'll never do that again, God. I'll never eat another brownie as long as I live. Sometimes what we need is help, help, help to deal with the mice inside the house. We really need help. And sometimes talking it out and seeing things. To this day, I still talk to guys constantly and they'll point out things that I've never realized. You know, you've got a rat hiding in that corner of your heart. God, I never knew that. I never saw that. You know, the challenge, the challenge I'd like to offer all of us is, if you can pull that up, Frank, is to go a layer deeper this year. You can commit this year after hearing this message to saying, I'm never going to eat another brownie. I'm never going to commit that sin again. I'm going to seal off all of the entrances. But you're going to find it's not enough. The thing that's really going to help is connection is that feeling of human inter interaction that you walked away and you said, that was a really good, helpful conversation that made me feel better, that helped me to understand myself more. Be willing to go a layer deeper. In your woven group, in your visits, in your prayer meetings, in the women's prayer meetings, in your gatherings, be willing to open up and say, this is who I am. This is really who I am. And you might experience what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover, which I think is a neat concept. A vulnerability hangover is when the next day you say, oh, why did I say that? Why did I tell them that much about myself? I feel naked. I feel like they know too much. But you always come back, they always come back to you and say, no, it was good that you did that. It was good that you opened up. 2017, go a layer deeper. Open up a little bit more. Don't say the past is just the past. Be willing to confront it. Don't ignore it. It doesn't go away. Don't ignore it. It doesn't go away. I want to read for you Matthew chapter 13. As I close off the second heading, Matthew 13, verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, this is Jesus teaching now. Jesus says, when anybody hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, let me back up. This is the parable of the sowers where Jesus talks about a, a, a sower, somebody with seeds in his hand, and he scatters the seed. Jesus is the sower. His words are scattered all throughout the fields. And what happens is there's, I believe, three types of soil. And he's talking about those three types of soil. And he says, whenever somebody does not understand, what happens is the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart, the seed that's been sown. This is the person on whom seed was sown beside the road. In verse 20, 
The one on whom seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself. It's only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately falls away. Verse 22, the one on whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. There's a fourth person. The one on whom seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Friends, let's be in 2017 the word that hears and understands. And even if you don't understand, then by golly, hang on to the horns of that altar and say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep coming out until I understand because I want the seed to fall on good soil. And God, my soil is not good. That's the conviction. But you can work miracles. And I ain't going nowhere until you change my heart and make it the fertile soil. There's no fatalism here. Well, I guess I'm the seed that fell on the wayside, so too bad. No. If you're the seed that fell on the wayside, that's when grace comes. If you're the seed that fell among the thorns, that's when grace comes. God, I am stuck. I'm not changing. I'm incorrigible. There's nothing in me, nothing good. I can't change. I'm destined. I'm destined for destruction. But I'm here holding onto the horns of the altar work a miracle. That's when grace comes. That's when you actually realize you've become the fertile soil. The third and the last part is the Spirit's indwelling. And this is the hardest thing. This is the hardest part. The Spirit's indwelling. So the Spirit convicts. That happened to me 20 years ago today. 20 years ago, 20 years ago today, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And it's taken 20 years of healing and inner healing and inner work but this third part of the dwelling of the Spirit inside of me, I, <laughs> I still don't have that mastered. 20 years of the Spirit indwelling. And <laughs> I'm just going to read this. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, all the disciples were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You know what word sticks out to me here? It's the word distributing. And I looked that up, and essentially that's exactly what it means. In the Greek, that word distributing, it can be translated uh, partitioning, dividing. So what we're talking about is, you know, I was at a New Year, I was at a Christmas Eve service, and one candle partitioned and divided as candles came and more candles lit. It's as if, let's say, a candle lit on, on top of Jenny's head, and then gradually that one candle began to divide Jackie, and then it 
went to Paul, and then it went to everybody. Do you get this image? But where does that all begin? With one candle, with one fire, with one fire like this. And what does that remind you of if you've read the Old Testament? That image is profoundly correlative to the Shekinah glory of God resting on the tabernacle whenever the Israelites traveled throughout the wilderness. They were a nomadic people, and whenever they found a place to camp for the night, they set up the tent, God's tent. And whenever God's presence came upon the tent, you would see a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they called it the Shekinah. What's happening now is that one pillar of fire has partitioned and dwelt on every disciple's head. And in the New Testament, it is no longer the tabernacle that is the house of God. You become the house of God. You get your own Shekinah glory. You get your own fire. You get your own indwelling God in the temple. You are a temple. God, His Shekinah, rests and sits on you. That's what happens when you become a Christian. Here's the problem. How do we keep the fire going? After 20 years of personal revival, is the personal revival still going on in my life? There are times where I felt like, man, that fire, I don't know if it's still there, but I'm still holding on to the horns of the altar. Is the fire out? Right? It reminds me of those old vineyard songs that I sang in the 80s. Don't let my love grow cold. I'm calling out. Light the fire again. Light it again. Fire come. Fire. And I'm 20 years older now, and I'm a little bit more seasoned. I'm like, come on, man. We've got to find a more deeper, mature way to live with the fire. I love this conversation by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, and he always preached about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit every week, every week in every revival meeting. And one woman came up to him with a theological understanding. She says, actually, Mr. Moody, it's incorrect to constantly preach for the infilling of the Holy Spirit because when we convert, we become Christians, the Shekinah rests on us, we are indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't leave. So why do you always preach on the Holy Spirit? And his answer was classic. You know what he said? He said, Madam, because I leak. How many of you leak? How many of you leaked on the way here? It's like, what a great way to start 2017, yelling at my kids, get in the car now! What a great way to start 2017, kind of hung over from last night. What a great way... It's like, I wanted to start off on a good note and worship this year, but I leak. And you know what? I don't know a single Christian that is not holy. And by that, I mean W-H-O. No, H-O-L-E-Y. I don't know a single Christian that's got every hole plugged up. I don't know a single Christian that's completely holy. H-O-L-Y. Everybody leaks. That's why we constantly need a fresh filling of the Spirit. I think Moody was not wrong. 
Yes, we're filled with the Spirit once and always, I believe. But at the same time, man, I'll tell you, it's like after a fresh kind of, after a fresh kind of coming down on my children, I feel filled with the Holy Spirit after that. Or after like, you know, a fresh tirade of road rage, I feel holy and filled with God today and the love of Jesus. No, I don't. I need to be filled yet again. And that's not bad. Because yet again, in 2017, we come before the Lord and we say, that's why I need grace. Not because, not because I'm codependent. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to confess. I've got a road rage problem. I've got a real addiction to brownies. And I need some help. And I need some inner work. And so I go to see the pastor. I go have an accountability partner. I go see the counselor. I work through these deeper life issues. Because in 2017, I don't want to be a codependent Christian. I want to be a changed Christian. The evidence of grace, and I'll finish with this. The evidence of grace is transformed lives, is change. If there is no change, then we question the arrival of grace or we question the depth of our healing or we question the depth of our conviction. If grace has come, it will bring change. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we come to you afresh. We give to you today. We give to you our work. We have things that we are in need of help. We're holding on to the horns of the altar and we're not letting go unless you bless us, unless you give us the understanding we need. I want to invite you to respond however you feel convicted, whether it's in journaling. I mean, you can even spend this time journaling, yeah. Journaling, saying, this is something that I see in myself. This is something that I've, I've, I've committed to change, something I've committed to doing in 2017. I've committed to confess this sin or I've committed to seeing somebody to get help in this area. Don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Even as a pastor, I need to do those same things. Or maybe if, you want, if, if not journaling, maybe, maybe spend some time in prayer, in confession, in repentance. But I want to invite you to pray or journal or respond how you will at this time right now.
Lord Jesus. We're gathered here together in your name, and it's so good. It's so good. So grateful for this community. So grateful that we're not alone. So grateful that we get better when we're together. So grateful that you give us each other to grow and to rub off on and to influence. So grateful, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray, we pray in 2017 that you would clean up our attics and take care of the mice that run rampant, sometimes even right past our feet, and we don't even know it. Pray for a fresh filling of your spirit, because God, a church plant without the Holy Spirit is nothing. It's nothing. Give steadfastness and commitment to our resolutions, God, that they wouldn't fade out year Lord let us be a community of wounded healers transparency healing vulnerability openness help us to go a layer deeper this year so we thank you Lord ourselves to you in Jesus name Amen. this has been a woven church podcast woven church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston we invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m. to find out more visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org that's www.wovenchurch.org